What a fantastic Sunday to be gathered in the Lord's house. We are encouraging each other to think about what God's done in your life, to think about your story and to learn to tell your story in a focused way. Well, today I want to tell a story about a man whose life was radically changed from encountering the Scripture, the Word of God. And I just want to ask the church gathered, I wonder if that's your story. I'm curious to know how many people in the sanctuary this morning would confess as a witness that they've had a moment where they were reading the Scripture and they felt like God just clearly spoke to them through what they read that day in their text. That they felt like they were reading it and a highlighter from the Holy Spirit just said, this is what I want you to hear today. I wonder how many of us have had an encounter with God's Word that shook us to the core or set us free. And I'll bet the number's pretty high. Well, today we're going to read about a man who feared God, who was wealthy, who wanted to do the right thing but didn't know what to do until he read the Word of God one day and had a brother sent by God to come and open the Scripture, and his life was forever changed. It's a great Sunday to be in church. Hey, happy birthday, Miss Jean. Excited for you and your family. Excited. Yeah, that's, we love you. We're excited for Miss Jean. Didn't... But you know, better than her birthday that we're celebrating is the birthday of somebody that might be sitting in here today who reads the Scripture, thinks about the Word of God, and gives their life to Christ and has a spiritual birthday. So while we're celebrating 90 years for our sister, man, could today be a spiritual birthday for you? A day where you give your life to the Lord and begin a brand new season with Jesus. As I lead us in prayer to pray for the Scriptures that we're going to read, to pray for the sermon, I just want to ask everybody here to be willing to bend their knee to the living God today. Would you agree that before we read the scripture, before we hear our testimony today, would you agree that if God prompts your heart, you'll say yes to him wherever he directs? I want to acknowledge that all over the world today, we're recognizing the day of prayer for the persecuted church. We've got brothers and sisters meeting in house churches in secret, in oak trees on the edge of a field, We've got people meeting in warehouses or coffee shops or in apartment buildings all over the world today. Brothers and sisters are standing up for King Jesus no matter what it may cost them. And in Petal, Mississippi, in the freedoms that we enjoy as we sit under the ministry of the Word of God today, we are proud to be their brothers and recognize them. So as we lay our hearts bare in prayer, I want us to lift them up too. Would you pray with me? Father, our church family is pleased to stand with our brothers and sisters around the world. Father, we're, we're honored to be your sons and your daughters, your children along with them who stand in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you saved us. We're thankful that you've called us. Lord, none of us deserve it. We are absolutely humbled that you took people just like us who were arrogant or far from you, who were stubborn or disobedient, who were prideful or rebellious, and Lord, in your mercy and love, you saved us. We're grateful to be your church. And Father, we stand with our brothers and sisters around the globe today who stand for the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on them, that you give them wisdom and courage. We ask your grace in Christ's name. Amen. Turn your scriptures to the book of Acts as we begin this sermon about the power of the Bible to change lives. I want to read a story of a man whose life was forever changed. And then I want to invite a guest, a friend of mine, to come and share a testimony of how he has seen lives change through the Word of God. So let's read Acts chapter 8 together. The backstory for Acts chapter 8, persecution broke out in the city of Jerusalem. 
And just as our brothers and sisters face persecution around the world today, the believers were first persecuted in Jerusalem for following Jesus. Well, this persecution sent them out. Everyone except the disciples, except the twelve, they left the city. But when they left, they had the courage to take a witness with them. They took the word of God with them. Well, they went to Samaria. Some of them did. Philip did, a deacon. And he started to preach and declare the word of God. And revival broke out. It was amazing in Samaria. He even saved a man who had been a sorcerer. Well, anyway, in the middle of this revival, while Philip was watching the ministry of a lifetime unfold right in front of his eyes, a pastor's dream, God did something very unusual. In the middle of this revival, God told Philip to go, to leave the revival and go where he wanted him to go. God took him away in the Holy Spirit to a desert road in the middle of nowhere to stand and wait. And as he stood and waited, a gentleman came riding up in a chariot. Philip didn't know who he was. He was an Ethiopian, a court official, an important person. He was a eunuch who had sought God and had gone to the temple to worship. He came home with a scroll of Isaiah, a very expensive document in his day. He was unrolling that scroll and reading it, studying the Word of God, and he was cut to the heart. And he looked around, and there stands this deacon, Philip, by the roadside for a reason he knew not. And Philip simply asked him, do you understand what you're reading right there? And this man, stranger to Philip, said, how could I understand unless there was somebody to help me with it? And not only was his life changed, but before the story is over, this important official says, baptize me. Baptize me in the first water we find. Baptize me now. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And when Philip waves goodbye in the rearview mirror of that Egyptian chariot, of that Ethiopian chariot, and he drives off, God has sent the first convert from the pagans to be a witness at the ends of the earth in Ethiopia. All because the Word of God changed his life. Let's read the story. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot. Stay near it. I hope that chariot wasn't moving. I'm not a very good runner, and if he asked that poor deacon to jog beside the chariot, that's tricky. We don't know, but go stay by that chariot. 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. And heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. Now this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself 
or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Well, as they traveled along the road and came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Well, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? And many of your scriptures include verse 37. Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38 says, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. It's a story about two people whose lives were impacted by God. A witness and somebody who became a worshiper of the living God. And I want to tell you that story, but first, I want to ask you to give your ear to a testimony from Brother Pat. I've asked a friend, he's a representative of the Gideon ministry, to come and join us. Cardigal Baptist Church has been partners with the Gideons for years. We take up an offering once a year at the end of this service. If you choose, you can give to the Gideon ministry to buy Bibles that will be sent around the world and handed out in the Pine Belt as a witness for Jesus Christ. At the end of the service, if you choose to give, at every exit, there'll be an usher who's willing to receive any gift that you choose to give to the Gideon ministry. But I want you to hear a testimony of the life-changing work of the Gideons through the sharing of the Scripture. Brother Pat, will you come join me on the platform? Let's welcome Pat so he feels comfortable among family. (laughs) Brother Pat, I want to thank you for being our guest, and I won't take any of your time. I'll let you share the testimony that you brought for us today. Thank you very much. I want you to imagine this scene. The year is 1942, World War II is raging, and there's this young American soldier sitting on the African shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's reading a little book. And not just any little book, but this very book that I hold in my hands. Now, this is a Gideon New Testament. Now, that young soldier was reading that book, and as often as he could, he would go out there and read in it. And he didn't know if he would ever see the green grass of Mississippi again. He didn't know if he would live or die. And about the only thing he had to give him any comfort was the promises God makes us in his word. Well, that young soldier did make it back. That young soldier, in fact, lived to be 96 years old. That young soldier was my father. This was his Bible. And I want to thank you. I thank you, church, and I thank you, Brother Ben, for your support of the Gideon ministry. Because you see, if it wasn't for pastors like yours, churches like yours, my dad wouldn't have had this Bible. The Gideon ministry has been very successful since since its inception in 1898. The Gideon ministry has placed over Two billion Bibles. That's billion with a B. That's almost enough to put a Bible in the hands of a third of the world's population. And it's been successful for two main reasons. One is God has blessed this ministry tremendously. You know, there's just a few volunteers when you compare the number of Gideons to the world population. There's about 200,000 of us worldwide. 
so that's not very many, but God has blessed this ministry. And it's been successful because people like you have supported it. And, and I thank you very much for that. And like Brother Ben mentioned, the Word of God is so powerful. I have heard testimony after testimony about how some person, maybe in prison, would just happen to read one line, one line, one verse out of the Bible, and they couldn't put it down. I heard this evangelist tell about how he was growing up as a sharecropper's son in rural Kentucky in the early 40s, and, and he went to his mother and he said, Mother, I'm about to enter high school this year. I think I should have a pair of shoes to wear to school. And she turned him in with tears rolling down her cheeks. She said, son, there's no money for shoes. Well, he didn't despair. He just went down this old dusty dirt road to a nearby trash dump, and he found him an old pair of shoes he could wear. And, and while he was there, he noticed this Gideon New Testament laying up on top of some trash. It looked brand new, but there was a page hanging out of it. And he just slipped that page out of it, and he was tempted to take that whole Bible, but him being a teenage boy, he didn't want his friends seeing him with a Bible in his pocket, but, but he slipped that page out. And he read the first line that came to his eye, and it happened to be John 3.16. Well, he was impressed by that. And he folded that page up and stuck it in his pocket, and he went on about his way, but over the next couple of days, he just couldn't help but pull that page out. Read that one verse. And the Lord touched him. And he not only accepted Christ as his Savior, he gave his life to the Lord. He spent his life preaching the Word. And I've heard similar testimonies to that one repeated many, many times. There have been many people turned from outlaws, gangsters, convicts, to pastors because of one or two lines out of one of these little books that somebody like you has been faithful to provide. Um, you know, you, each one of you can be a part of the Gideon ministry. You don't have to join. You don't have to join at all. If you give to the Gideon ministry today as much as a dollar and 35 cents, somebody somewhere in the world will we'll re receive one of these little books. They will receive the knowledge of, of what it takes to live that abundant life that Jesus talked about. They will learn how they can spend eternity in paradise with Him for a dollar and 35 cents. That, that's amazing, isn't it? What a valuable piece of information for such a little bit of money. Uh, you know, my wife and I decided we'd do something a little different today than, than we normally do when we go out to speak at a church. We don't usually contribute that day. And, and I'll tell you, this is a silly reason why we don't, but we like to give at our church because our church gets credit for it. We, we like to give at our camp meetings, but we, we're members of the Ellisville camp because our camp gets credit for it. See, if I give today, your church will get credit for it. Brother Charles's camp will get credit for it. But you know what difference does it make? It doesn't matter who gets credit for it. The, 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 what matters is that we put the Word of God in the hands of the lost. What matters is that we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, and I would 
We're thinking about what you could give, what God would have you to do. Of course, it's entirely up to you. Now, she and I decided we would buy 100 of these Bibles. 100, $135, we'll buy 100 of these Bibles. And that's what we're going to do. And we buy several hundred a year. But you know the Gideon ministry couldn't function if it wasn't for you. Because we depend on churches for our members. We depend on them for prayers. We depend on them for money. For financial support. So that your money buys these Bibles that we hand out. Uh, so I know that there's just about every adult in here could, could buy ten of these. Uh, a lot of you could buy a hundred of them. And there's, there's people in here that could buy 500, and you wouldn't even feel it. But, but you do what God leads you to do. In fact, I ask that you pray about this wonderful opportunity God has given you to make his powerful word known to the masses of the world. And you just follow his leadership. And I, I thank you very much for this time, and I wish each of you God's richest blessings. Thank you, Brother Pat. I appreciate that. The Gideon ministry is a ministry that I've always appreciated because they're very focused. I mean, they do two things. They give out scriptures and they witness. They learn to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not paid for what they do. They all volunteer their time. And I have always been impressed with the integrity of their organization and their effort. And I couldn't think of anybody today who does a better job of just representing the power of God's word. So I want to turn your attention back to the story of the eunuch as I ask you to consider the power of God's word in your life. I want you to think about his story as we learn to tell our stories. Now, most of you know that for the next few weeks, I am encouraging our entire congregation to learn to share your story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Now, the way that I've challenged you to think through that, to provide a little encouragement, a little accountability, is I've asked everybody to take one of the white cardstock pages that, and read at the top, it says, this is my story. They're found at the exit of every exit to the sanctuary. And I've asked everybody to think through their testimony, their story, to cut out everything that is non-essential and get straight to the focused core, the heart of what God has done in your life, and be able to write your story with God on that one page so that you can clearly identify the theme of what God's done in your life. I told you the example of my story. My story is play in church. I was raised in church, gave my life to the Lord at 12, but then for the better part of a decade, I lived like everybody else around me. I was very worldly-minded and was playing church. I loved the Lord on Sundays, but I followed the ways of the world on Monday through Saturday. And it wasn't until college that I saw believers following Jesus Christ with their whole heart, and I started to discover what real discipleship was, to love my neighbor, to love God, and to serve Jesus Christ with a change from the inside out. I stopped playing church and I became a disciple of Jesus. Once I learned that my testimony had a core like that, it became more useful for me. Now I can share it with somebody in a gospel conversation, and I want the whole church to be able to do the same thing. So I'm asking you, will you think through your story? Now the story we're going to hear today of the eunuch, his story hinged on the Word of God. His theme would be the Bible changed everything for me. But what would be your theme. You can already find some of the stories hanging on the wires in the hallways outside the sanctuary, and I want everybody to hang your story on those wires. The staffs out there, several of our church children, our chairman of deacons, some other key leaders have already got their stories hanging on the wires. I can't wait to read yours. I've enjoyed just walking that hallway and reading everybody's story, but this man's story 
the Ethiopian eunuch story, it hinges on the power of the Word of God. So I want you to think through what he'd say if he were here. Well, if he were here, I think the first thing he would say about his story is he would say, Carterville Church, the peculiar thing for me is God sent an obedient witness to me. The Holy Spirit prompted a person who was willing to obey. Now, our church is challenging itself right now to make 25,000 connections in the Pine Belt for the Lord, to intentionally approach people 25,000 times this year for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to invite them to church, to invite them to your Sunday school group, to invite them to your home for prayer, but so that you could minister to them and connect them to the Lord. 25,000 connections. Every time you make one of those connections, you write initials or a name on a ping pong ball, you drop it in the displays at the entrances so that we can celebrate the work of the body of Christ collectively together at the end of the year. But if, if, the, if this court official was telling his story, he would say, you know what? The guy that witnessed to me was the most unlikely person. Let me tell you a little bit about the witness Holy Spirit called to go meet him on this road. So Philip was a deacon. I mean, first of all, he was called in Acts chapter 6 to serve widows' tables. And I want you to listen to this. When God said, Philip, I want to set you apart to the work of the church, when Philip said yes, he thought he was agreeing to wait tables for the widows of the church. Maybe he said, you know what, I love the old people. I would love to do that. I tell you what, nothing thrills my heart more than talking to old ladies. And if I could deliver the daily meal to the widows of the church, wow, yes, sign me up for that. I'll be a deacon. Lay hands on me. Pray over me. I'm your man. Sign me up to wait tables and minister to the old ladies of the church. I am so excited about my call to geriatric ministry. Fired up. He did not know that he was saying yes to surviving the middle of a persecution. He did not know that he was saying yes to packing his bags and fleeing his home city for the sake of Jesus Christ. He did not know that he was saying yes to setting up a new life in a new city in Samaria of all places where the people didn't agree with the Jews that Philip knew back in Jerusalem. He had no idea that God was about to call him to start a revival, to preach, to witness, and teach. Now, Philip didn't file a complaint with God and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said I'd wait on tables. I told you I'd host a Christmas banquet. I did not tell you that I would go and start a revival or face a persecution or run for my life or start over in a new city. But that's the cool thing is that when God taps us for the kingdom, when he saves us and adopts us into his family, there is no such thing as normal duty. There's no such thing as a normal Christian, when God called you, he got all of you. And because God is sovereign, he owns our future. When, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, I don't like to just say, I invited God into my heart. It sounds warm. It sounds comfortable. But it's an invitation that I offered God to live in my space. And that's not exactly right. I think rather, I would say, I gave my life to God. And I got it back in return when he saved me. When we make Christ our Savior, we make Him our Lord, we recognize the sovereign strength of God. His will is better than ours. His design for our life is better than ours. I don't want less than what He wants for you. But the witness that met this man on that road that day, he signed up to wait tables. But he wound up called to start a revival. And then on the weirdest day yet, God asked Philip to leave a revival 
and wait in the desert. To go to a road and stand there and wait. I think if the eunuch was telling his story, it would start like this. I have no idea why that man was there that day. I have no idea why he was waiting on me. Or how he knew what I needed. But I just know that on that day, there was a man standing on the side of the road who looked like he was waiting for something. And I don't know about you, but part of what I'm excited about in this church at Carterville, trying to make 25,000 connections, every ping pong ball, is that one of my brothers and sisters is listening for a prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we're learning to spend our whole week walking around Walmart, our workplace, a soccer field, fishing for men and women, with our Holy Spirit radar up to say, God, move me. So one day, Philip's Holy Spirit radar was up. He's in the middle of revival, and God says, leave it. Leave it to the other leaders, and you go wait. And Philip could have said, too many people are being saved. I can't leave this. Philip could have said, no, 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 this is just getting good. This, I've never dreamed of my career being off like this. No way am I leaving. But the Holy Spirit said go. Philip said go. And that changed everything. Like when the Holy Spirit told Philip to leave, he followed that prompting. And the first thing I want to push our church to today is I want you to follow the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Like I want you to be willing to listen and if the ping pong ball helps you focus, then praise God for ping pong balls. But as a church family, I want us listening for the nudges of the Spirit all week, every week. And when God says, go wait by the roadside, go wait by the roadside. And if it makes no sense to you, you're in good company. I'm sure that Philip was standing there in that dirt with his sandals, scratching lines in the sand, thinking, God, what am I doing out here? It sure does seem like I am wasting an awful lot of time. But he was not wasting time because there was one soul coming down that road on that day and God wanted him waiting. You and I don't know what God's doing today, what he's doing this week in the Pine Belt. So when he gives you a nudge, you say yes, you go and you wait and you know that the soul that you meet is important to God. I think the second thing that the eunuch would say if he were sharing with us is he would say, you know, I don't know why that guy was there, but boy, he was. The Holy Spirit sent somebody. But you know, second, I want you to know something about me. I, I really did respect God. I respected God, but I was not a part of his church yet. So this eunuch, I want you to think about this. He lived in Ethiopia. He worked for the Kandake, that is, in a lot of your Bibles, Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was an important person. He was a eunuch, and he was trusted for that. But he went to Jerusalem, not on an accident. He went to Jerusalem to worship God. And here's a guy who would tell you, I feared God enough to go to Jerusalem to learn about him, to try to worship him. But it really wasn't connected. I want you to think, all over the Pine Belt, there are people who have more respect for God than you think they do. They just don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to connect with him. They don't know the gospel of grace. They need a Philip. They need you. They need the church to be a witness and bring them in. But this man would say, I honored God. I feared God. Let me say this. In his day, you don't get a scroll of Isaiah for cheap. I don't know if you've noticed, but Isaiah is a pretty long book. In your Bible, it's 66 chapters. That's as long a scroll as we know of. It would have cost more money than you would believe 
for him to buy that scroll. And he's an important man. He's got some funds. But I want you to know he has enough fear of God that he bought a scroll of Isaiah and is headed home, studying it himself. And I wonder how many brothers and sisters are filling the pine belt today who are at home today, desperately looking in their Bible. They don't know God well. They have a fear for God. They want to know God. But right now, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of depression, in the middle of addiction, in the middle of just lostness, in the middle of a dream they can't explain, in the middle of feeling overwhelmed, how many people in the Pine Belt took their Bible off their shelf, dusted it off, looked in the cover where it said, to, gradu- to my son on gra- his graduation day 25 years ago. They don't know where to look. They don't know what they're looking for. And they just opened it and they started reading. And they are looking for God. And they need you to buy a cup of coffee. To have them over for a bowl of soup. To slow down long enough to listen If this eunuch was here, he would say, what I want you to know about me is that I feared God. I respected him and I loved him. I just didn't know what to do with it. According to Deuteronomy, as a eunuch, this man would not have been able to enter the temple when he went to worship. He was trusted as an official in Ethiopia. It served him well. But as a worshiper of God, he would have not been able to go into the courts of the temple, even to the court of the Gentiles. He would have to pick up whatever he could learn about God from outside the fringes of the church, much like our brothers and sisters in the Pine Belt who need a witness, who need the love of Christ, the grace of God to come to them. But what he would want you to know is, I wasn't a bad person. I mean, like all of us, I was a sinner. I was lost in need of grace. I mean, what's good, what's bad, but I need you to know that in my heart, I feared God and wanted to know Him. I just didn't know where to look. Until that guy standing by the side of the road that day heard me reading the Bible. The third thing he would say if he was here, he'd say, I want you to know that my whole life changed because I was reading a particular passage of Scripture. I want you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 53. So he's reading Isaiah 53, and he could not have chosen a better passage. Here's a man riding on a road in a chariot, coming home from worship, driving for days to get back to his home city in Ethiopia, which they considered the ends of the earth. And he is reading the Bible, and it just so happens that while he is searching in the dark for Jesus Christ, for purpose, for hope, for meaning, he happens to be reading one of the best passages he could have possibly read in all the scriptures. I want you to read some of Isaiah 53 with me, not just the selection that was in the book of Acts, but I want you to read some of Isaiah 53 with me. Read verse 3 and following. He was despised and rejected by mankind, that is Jesus. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, 
And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. This gentleman is reading in a chariot, probably as someone else drives him. As an official, he's got his own chauffeur. And very likely someone else was reading the text out loud to him, or he was reading it out loud. It was often the habit in the ancient world to read out loud. And Philip overheard the text of the Bible being read. And he said, what are you, what are you reading? Simple conversation, just dropping a ping pong ball, trying to start something to see if it goes anywhere. Just planting seed. It's all I'm asking any of us to do. And from there, the Holy Spirit did His work. The Holy Spirit had already prepared the heart of that court official. The Holy Spirit had already put the text in front of him. The Holy Spirit was already cutting his heart with the Bible. All Philip had to do was explain what he knew. And he said, well, he's talking about Jesus. And beginning there, he told the good news of Jesus Christ. If this court official was here today, he'd say, my life changed with the Bible. I've got a member of my Sunday school class who I love dearly. And she'd tell you how she ran from God for a season of her life. And on a Friday night, she was reading Romans chapter 6 on her back porch in desperation. And as she read her Bible all alone, God spoke to her. And in the clarity of his piercing voice, she gave her life to Jesus Christ on her back porch on Friday. And on Sunday, this fool of a preacher preached a sermon from Romans 6, 23. And she heard the same scripture read in her church that God read over her on her back porch. And she knew that day that God spoke to her through his word. He didn't need me. She didn't need me. But it reminds all of us in here today that the Bible is not just a good book of rules. The Bible is God's inspired word. And for that reason, I challenge our entire church to build your life upon it. If you read the text of Scripture and you read your Bible every morning, you find in the Scripture something that doesn't agree with your life, well, then I challenge you, don't dismiss the Bible. Rather, go to the Lord and change your life. If the Bible says forgive and you say, I don't like to forgive, well, brother, you should bend your knee to God and forgive. If the Bible says care for the poor, and you say, I don't ever think about the poor, but the Bible says care for the poor, then bend your knee and care for the poor. If the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver and you say, I don't like to give, I don't either. Bend your knee to God and become a cheerful giver. Bend your will to the God of the cosmos and bend your will to His Word because it's powerful. As a church, the Bible is our rule. Hear me say this. When Baptist politics ever disagrees with the Scripture, if our inherited traditions disagree with the Scripture at Carterville, we'll change to match the Bible. It's our rule.
It needs to be the rule for our church. It needs to be the rule for our lives. But I think for you and I, we've got copies of the Scripture at home that we're not reading. And it just challenges today. Maybe because you've heard the story of this court official whose life changed by the Word. How would your life be different today as a believer if you started spending five minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the morning, reading scripture and praying about what you read. How different would your life be if you went back to the most basic Christian practice of a daily devotion, of a private worship time in the mornings, where you sought the Lord, you read the scriptures for yourself, and began to pray. I promise you that over the course of the year, you'd see your life change because you'd hear God speaking to you, you'd feel Him directing your paths. Because the scripture contains the word of God, we revere it. The last thing that the eunuch would say if he was here today, he'd say, Carterville, the fourth thing I want you to know is I went home that day as a missionary to the ends of the earth. The first missionary that we're aware of converted to the Christian gospel and sent off into the, into the harvest is this Ethiopian eunuch. Next week we'll read about a powerful Roman soldier converted to Christianity from paganism. You'll read soon about Paul's gospel witness all over the world, but the very first active missionary we can find is this Ethiopian eunuch, saved and sent back to the court of Candace into the reaches of Africa to share the gospel at the ends of the earth. Here's a person whose heart was ready for the Lord, and the scriptures awoke it. What I want to challenge our church with this morning is just a few things. Number one, I'd like for all of us to agree to recognize the power of the Word of God. That we would not take the Scriptures for granted. Now, you might have been a believer for 50 years. You might have read your Bible cover to cover. I respect that. I'm proud of you. But if you sit with me today and say, but Ben, I'm in a season of life where because I've become so familiar with the Bible, I've stopped taking it seriously. I haven't read it in two weeks. When I read it, I'm just glossing over it. I'm not letting it change my heart. Ben, I'm telling you today, I came to church and I need to hear this because I need to rediscover the Word of God. And I commit today to ask the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to His Word. I do not want to spend the last chapter of my life reading the Bible as if I've read it a thousand times, glossing over it, and not hearing the fresh Word of God speak to me again. Ben, what I need today is I need to rediscover the scriptures. Then I want to encourage you to do that. Is there anybody here today that says, Ben, I came to church, but I feel cut to the heart. I came to church to please my wife, or because I felt like I needed to, for social reasons. But as I sit here, I know that I'm lost. I heard Isaiah 53, and I don't remember anything about your sermon except that he suffered, that by his stripes we are healed. And I want the salvation that Jesus died to give me. I want to follow him from now until he returns. Ben, I want to be saved today. I want to give my life to Jesus and start to follow him. Or maybe what you heard today was, my goodness, I need to be more like Philip. Lately I've been complaining about what all I have to do or what I'm supposed to do. But I need to be more like Philip. I need to give my whole life to the power of God. I need to yield to the Holy Spirit when He prompts me. I need to go stand by the desert road when it makes no sense to me at all. And I need to be ready 
to sow a seed of the gospel, to share what I know about Christ. Whatever it is the Lord's putting in your heart, I want to give you a chance to respond. As we pray today, I want to remind you that as you worship and sing, as you pray to the Lord during this response time, you can pray for the persecuted church around the world. Ask God's strength and comfort on our brothers and sisters who are in prison or in hiding or worshiping in fear. Second, yield your life to the Lord. If He's calling you to salvation, I'm here and I'm ready for you. If He's calling you to some act of service, make your commitment to God. If you need me, I'm here to share. I'd love to hear what God's doing. But just right now, I want to ask you to surrender to the will of God. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to search your heart and obey God. Then we'll have a time of worship. We'll sing together. I'll be here. The altars are open for prayer. And you just respond as the Lord leads you. Father in heaven, as a church, we surrender to you and to your word. I pray that you would direct our paths. Lord, that you would show us what you want and that we would yield to you. We ask your grace and your power over us in Christ's name today. Amen.